Hello and welcome back to the Keeping Up With The Clan podcast, uh, part two of the Ronan Mega Linden interview. The reason for it was the dodgy internet of uh, where I live. So we're back tonight to Ronan. So we're going to start off with uh, the next point that we had on our thing was, Ronan, you were in Armagh for a good while in America and then you decided to change counties over to County Down. But you sort of had an affiliation with Down also because of your uncle. Uh, Sean Smith, who managed down for years in the 70s and 80s, and also was with Bransford, Hilltown and Ockham Island. So you knew down quite well. Yeah, that, that's correct there, Hog. Uh, I had an uncle, Sean Smith. He actually passed away in February 2020. He was He's my mother's brother. And he was a primary school principal in Bransford. And as you said there, he would have been very, very successful at club level in down and then we'll have a two stints managing down senior teams so sort of going back originally i think he started off with bransford uh 1969 1970 won two ulster titles with bransford and then that 1970 year uh progressed then into into the all ireland final in 1971 at club level i think that might have actually been the first uh all ireland club final i'm not 100 percent certain on that and I think in the final they were beaten by UCD, University College Dublin. And then, as you said, it wasn't actually until I'd sort of read some of the tributes in the in the Irish news over the last year, I wasn't actually aware until I'd read those newspaper articles that he had also won a, a senior championship with Clonduff and also won a senior championship with Lock and Island. So in terms of in terms of my own knowledge of Uncle Sean, that only really came about over the last few months. And then, as you say, uh, two stints with down senior team. I think it was from 74 to 76. I think there was two Ulster finals in that. Uh-huh. I think one went, I think one went, went to a replay, maybe against Donegal, and they were beaten in a replay. And then then and then the second stint was in the mid-80s, 84 to 86. Again, 86 culminated in a in an Ulster final against Tyrone, who went on to get beaten by Kerry that year in the All-Ireland final. So sort of Uncle Sean was probably just there, just before the glory days as such, of the early 90s with Pete McGrath. So he probably, Lexa Ross, Kiar, and Mickey, Mickey Linton and people like that. I think uh, my Uncle Sean probably would have been the manager who maybe sort of brought them in as 19, 20-year-olds in, 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 into the down panel, you know? Yeah, well, that's, I was reading up on the scene that he had, he wasn't just a good manager, he was a good player because he had a minor All-Ireland winner, uh, uh, sorry, a minor All-Ireland medal with Armagh in 1949. Um, like you say, he went on and was in the Ulster Finals with Down in 74, 75 and 86. Um, and again, when you're sort of just touching on the players, I was reading up on a scene that Ross Carr, he had described him as a coach before his time and uh, a lot of them had referred to him as the master as well. So uh, from reading that, they sort of said that whenever he gave his team talk, it was a good and clear plan, and you just felt that you could go out and beat anyone, and he did hone on and sort of focus on the uh, basic skills of the game. And I think actually one of them quoted uh, was the 3D, so it was discipline, dedication, and uh, determination. 
So um, I think you probably get quite a lot of those skills from him as well, just from watching you over the past year, Ronan. Like it's you do focus a lot on the basics, which obviously was key to Shauna's um, success as well. Yeah, that's true. You, you, you sort of mentioned the master there, I think, in terms of of that name for Uncle Sean. It came from it came from his two Ulster titles for Bransford, because he was actually, as I mentioned earlier, he was school principal down in Bransford. And practically that whole Bransford team from 6970, uh, Sean would have actually been their teacher and on and their principal in primary school. So it was just sort of that respect, obviously, from primary school that those players had brought through to their adult years, you know, in, in, in terms of referring to him as a master. And as I said, Uncle Sean passed away in February 2020. And I remember being up at the hospital in Downpatrick and two or three of the Bransford players who religiously had taken Sean out every Christmas or every New Year for dinner, you know, just sort of as a mark of respect, uh, have actually called up the same in the hospital. And I think the captain of that team was a man called Oliver Burns. And then you also had Colin McAlarney from Leitrim was up that night in the hospital a couple of times whenever I was up. And even still then, like, it was strange for me sitting there watching this, like grown men in their probably 60s, mid to late 60s, that's the still... Whenever they were speaking to Uncle Sean on, on his deathbed, still calling him, still calling him the master, you know. So yeah. obviously, obviously, as you say, there was a lot of respect from his players, not just as a coach, not just as a manager, but obviously as a person too, you know. And sort of, I've always sort of thought to myself, you know, where have I got, where have I got the interest for Gaelic games in? Because my own father wouldn't have he would have been at the Ireland finals, you know, Armagh would have been the 53 final, 77 final, and the O2 final with Armagh. So he would have had an interest in Gaelic, but in terms of the of the Chernino club here in Port of Iron as such, he wouldn't he wouldn't have really had a massive a massive impact on it. I think he was maybe a committee member maybe for like one or two years in the 80s. But my father was more interested in like Irish history and historical societies. You know, he was in a historical society in Armagh, the Shan Hassar Donegal and Clacher. So maybe maybe the link sort of in terms of Gaelic for me sort of inadvertently probably came from Uncle Sean. You know, just sort of maybe like childhood experiences of being around him and hear, hearing him talking about football, you know. But certainly, like even there in the last couple of years, like he was well into his 80s. And anytime he spoke to me about football or he was giving me a few tips about management or, or training drills or games, that you could that, that you could use in trainings like in his eighties, he still had great passion and in his eighties he was still able to captivate my attention whenever he spoke, you know. So I could just imagine what he was like whenever he was in his prime. Like I think I actually read in one of those articles in 1869 at first Ulster title with Bransford. He was actually only 38 years of age. He had only he had only actually recently uh, retired from playing. I think whenever Whenever he got married then and moved down to Bransford or Glass direction, I think he played for a junior team there called Dunsford, which is, I think, I think that's the name of the parish in our Glass, where, where his wife is from, my auntie Mary, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was well known around the university uh, as well, Roland. He took uh, Jordanstown for about 13 years or so and around yeah, the third. Uh, so, like, whenever, whenever I was sort of uh, teenagers, mid twenties at university. Sean would have been heavily involved with Jordanstown, or probably whenever he was involved, it was called the Poly or the Polytechnic. That's, that's how the team was referred to. 
And as you say, I don't actually, I'm not 100% certain whether he actually managed or coached the Sigerson team at any stage there. But certainly he would always have managed, you know, for a long number of years, would always have managed uh, the Freshers team in, in Jordanstown, I think. I was chatting to a cousin of mine there over Christmas, and I think I think his record with Apolly was that they played in eight all Ireland finals whenever he was manager, and I think they actually won all eight of them. You know, so he's again with the universities, with the club, and obviously with the county, he had he had tremendous success, you know. Yeah. And I know the the first part we had sort of the part one of the podcast would finished up with you doing the league and championship double. Um, with St. Peter's. So you, um, 2019, just so we don't miss out on it, uh, you continued on with the Peters and you, you stay, you, you, they stayed up after getting them up. Um, yeah, from they the, stayed up in Division 1, yeah, that's correct. Uh, right, so tw- yeah, 2019, Brad, uh, stayed with St. Peter's up in Division 1B at that stage. Arma, I remember it said Arma a few years before it split into like A's and B's in, in, in each division. So yeah. A group of eight or a league of eight, and you're home and away 14 games. And and we actually got off, St. Peter's got off their really, really good start that year. They actually won the first five games of that division one be in 2019. And and we're sitting top of the league. And then probably like anything, maybe sort of teams sort of caught on to us a wee bit, maybe didn't didn't take us for granted, like they maybe had in the first few games, and then sort of the, the, the middle part of the season sort of fell apart a wee bit, and then I think with I think with two games to go, maybe with uh, St. Peter's beat Colville to make sure to stay up in the league, you know. So it was it was a good achievement actually bringing them up and then and then keeping them up the year after, you know. Yeah. So at that stage, though, you were happy to sort of walk away and leave it at that because you'd you'd won the league and championship the year before. You got them promoted. You stayed in that division, and I just have a look down there to myself, looking at that. I would just say, job done. Then you were you were happy and pretty satisfied. Yeah, well, sort of as I maybe said in the in the first podcast. I'm not too sure if I did. Sort of in terms of my management, I feel that sort of three years with any team is is plenty. You know, the first year you sort of get the get used to the players. They get used to your training. The second year you maybe. Have a wee bit of success, and if you manage to get them promoted, then the third year is all about all about consolidation in in the higher division, you know. And certainly, I feel like I've great respect for managers like Mickey Hart and Sean Boylan, you know, who were who were managing their counties there for twenty, nearly twenty years. And in Mickey's case, and I think it was twenty plus, I think it was maybe twenty three years. Sean Boylan was with was with me, you know, because what I find myself. After three years, the players know you inside out. You know them inside out. Whenever you come to the first training session in pre-season, the players could nearly rate the session themselves. You know that, that, that they've been there that much. So sort of like Karensko the, the previous time and Sheeran Oak before that, Brad, I sort, of, I sort of felt three years with St. Peter's and it was sort of the end of the life cycle, you know? Yeah, and then that obviously opened the door uh, in 2020 um, to ourselves. So you were a free agent as such and Clannabana came knocking on the door. But um, I can remember, obviously, we'd be in the circles where you're hearing all the crack about the managers. And I think it was somebody in dad's work had actually mentioned it or mentioned that you were free to him. So I'm not too sure if that was the initial source bit or what, but um, if you want to just give us a wee lowdown then on how Clannabana came to you. 
Yeah, as you said, 2019 and left St. Peter's, so obviously 2020 had nothing really had nothing really set up. And to be honest, I wasn't really actively looking, you know, for, for anything. Like I wasn't looking about the clubs in Armagh to see if any clubs were available or any clubs were looking managers. And then as you said, I think between your dad working with a friend of mine, Darren Livingstone over in Heister and Craig Avon. And I think Paul Malone at that stage, he's actually the assistant manager helping me the last two years. I think at that stage, he was maybe doing a bit of grounds work up at Pierce Oaks uh, in Armagh. And, and the caretaker or the groundsman of Pierce Oaks was actually the father of, of the fellow Paddy Toner I was talking about and, you know, in, in the first podcast would have helped me with Jim Nogue. Mm-hmm. So I think sort of between a combination of, of your dad and Paul, I think maybe that's, uh, in, in, in terms of my name, it's, it's maybe how my name maybe came to the came to the attention of, of, of the committee and clan, you know, and then it was Tony Campbell then, Toots phoned me, and was chatting to me and said, will I be interested? And then I said, look, give me a few days, leave it with me. And I went about and did my own research myself, you know, we sort of looked at the league tables and looked at the results from the 2019 season and sort of felt to myself that, you know, traveling wise, it wasn't too far away. It was only 25 minutes away from home. You know, the opportunity to to coach in a different county. You know, like whenever you look back at, at that stage, I'd maybe been coaching senior teams for 13 or 14 years and I'd never actually gotten a phone call or I'd never actually applied for a job outside of Armagh. So I sort of felt it was a challenge that I'd never experienced before. New teams, new grounds, you know, a, a new county board set up, new referees, new people who was going to meet. So I said to myself, why not? And then I ended up with the clan last year. Actually, uh, one of my first memories is our 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 first sort of friendly game that we had with Ronan. It actually came up in my Facebook memories today. It was, it's a year since we played Trillic. That's right. Uh, the, the windy up, day up there. Up and up I can't even remember where Vouchers was somewhere. In up, in, up in Urbanstown. Yeah, the Urbanstown. Up on the hill, absolutely found her. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, with a bit of bond in my heart after, it was great to have. But uh, obviously then COVID sort of wrecked your sort of first year near the, just after the March or so. Yeah, as you say, it was in around this time last year where we played our first match against Trillick. And then we had a couple of matches after that off the top of my head. I can't remember the teams, but I think, I think we had played three challenge games before the COVID hit. I just remember last year, our last training session was on the 11th of March, which was over in Focus Gym in Craig Avon, where we had been going to once a week with an excellent players, Peter, Dara, McYoung, owning the gym, you know. And I remember the 11th of March was the last session, and then we didn't get back training again as a collective group until the 24th of June. So it was effectively three and a half months last year of, of no collective training, sort of for a manager in his first year with a team, not really knowing the players. It sort of put a massive, a massive dent in the preparations you know, for last season. And really, whenever we got back then on the 24th of June, I think we had like maybe three weeks training you know, before the league started. So we maybe only had about another nine sessions after we went back. And I think with a couple of challenge games thrown in there as well, you know, to sort of try and get to try and get your team ready for that first match of, of, of the year against Newry Shamrocks down in Park Esler. 
So certainly in terms of preparation last year, if it had maybe been year two or year three of the cycle, it wouldn't have had so much of an effect because you still would have known the players and they would have known the setup of the team and tactics and stuff like that. But really that three and a half months from, from March to June last year really put a massive dent in the, in the plans. And it probably wasn't really until in the round of championship time where I felt that we were sort of playing anywhere near near our full potential. You know, obviously, the championship last year, the first round, was disappointed where we were well beaten by Drumgaff. And then we managed to sort of regroup and we beat Yuri Bosco in the first sort of playoff match. And then that went on to Tully Lish in the second playoff match down in, down in Newcastle, which was a good win, which brought us through to the quarterfinal. And then again, we were drawn against Bransford. And, and to be honest, you just have to hold your hands up like Bransford, and or sorry, not Bransford, uh, Drumgaff. Sorry, in the two games we played against Drumgaff last year in the championship, like there were the 10 or 11 points battle on us than what the scoreline suggests, you know? Yeah, and then after, obviously, you've touched on COVID and there being a delay, when everything got up and running then, Ronan, um, obviously coming from the legs in Armagh, to me, it's gonna. It it looks like it's so different because you've got your different playing nights, different training nights, different league and championship setup. So, in terms of that, even like in terms of the um referees, what um how did you feel there were everything was was in comparison to Armagh then? Yeah, as you're saying, Brad. Obviously, I had little to no experience of down football coming in. I maybe watched. A few club games, you know, maybe watched Lexa Kilku or a couple of couple of senior games over the years, but I really had had very little experience. And as you say, something as simple as like whenever I was managing Norma, I knew every referee from experience. So I knew what way they were going to ref the games, what they were going to blow, what they weren't going to blow. And obviously that was sort of relayed on to the players before the match. Whereas going into down last year, didn't know any of the referees at all and just sort of Maybe something that I would have picked up as a major difference between refereeing in Armagh and refereeing in Down. Sort of in Armagh, I feel that the referees would let a lot more go, whereas I felt last year in Down. And again, I'm not I'm not saying it was all one way. It was for both teams, you know, playing any particular day. I just sort of felt that the referees gave a lot of what I would classify in Armagh sort of soft freezes. So it was very, very difficult for defenders I felt last year and down, if you didn't win the primary possession, to actually defend your man, because it seemed to me, if you put a hand on your man at all, the referee was was given a free against you. And again, as I said, that's not sour grapes. I'm talking about working both ways, you know, freeze for us and freeze for the opposition. So sort of, if I was going in this year now, hopefully whenever we get back and we were playing in-house challenge matches, I would have to, and I would be refereeing, the challenge, the in-house matches between ourselves, similar to what I saw last year and down, as opposed to maybe what I was doing last year whenever we were doing 8v8s or 6v6s or 15v15s, where I would, have, I would have let a lot go, you know? So again, again in the first year, it's, it's a learning curve in terms of, of a lot of things, Brad, as you say, players, you know, opposition and referees, big time. Were you... Yeah. Ronan, were you surprised how tough uh, some of the teams were in Division 3? Because you would be thinking in Division 3, you know, team standard sort of goes down. 
like you we talked about there, we played Neary Shamrocks. So you're thinking about Neary Shamrocks probably would have got promoted if they were in a proper league. Like, and they're really on the rise. What do you think of the standard? Well, as you said, are you sort of in, in that Division 3 last year? Obviously, we didn't play everything in Division 3 last year because it was split into the two sections. But certainly out of the teams that we would have played, obviously, Neary Shamrocks, as you say, who had got to the intermediate final, I think, in 2019. I think they were beaten in that final again would be would be a good team and as you say good young players coming through on the rise as I've touched on from Gaff in the two games we played last year sort of as far as I would be concerned would have to be our benchmark this year in terms of division three if we're if we're looking to compete anywhere near the top half of that league and again we played Leitrim in a challenge match a couple of weeks before we played the quarter final and again they would be they would be another another very strong team, you know. So sort of, as you said, the, the league structure and down, obviously with the four leagues, and then the championship structure. I felt I found that difficult to sort of comprehend last year, you know, because as Brad was saying there with Armagh, the league and the championship are are linked. You know, you have three leagues: Division One, which is your senior championship; Division Two, which is your intermediate championship. And then Division Three, which is your junior championship. So I sort of found it a wee bit difficult, and I couldn't really understand or get my head around last year how Saul in Division Two, you know, Dramara from Division Four, and then your crux of Division Three teams were all in the intermediate championship. You know, to me that just didn't make sense. Where a Division Two team could be playing a Division Four team in the first round of a championship. And then again, you go to the flip side of the coin, you have Oculus and the Finn there, who were Division 3, but were playing in the Junior Championship. Yeah. You know, so I, I imagine in, in Armagh that the, the, the numbers work with the clubs. I think there's, 40, there's 49 teams in Armagh. So it sort of works with, uh, it sort of works with three, six, or two 16s and a 17, you know. So I, I, imagine, I imagine the league and the... And the championship structure and down obviously has got something to do with with the number of teams that's playing. But I just felt it strange that a Division Two and a Division Four team can be in the same championship. You know, it's a sort of it's, it's something again that I sort of have to try and get my head around and prepare for this year. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely different in Armagh. It used to be you had to win the intermediate to get into the senior and different things they had too, didn't you? Yeah, it's the same way as that in Armagh. The only two ways you can get promoted in the championship is by winning your league or else winning your championship. So if you win a division two league next year, you would be playing in the senior championship. You know, or obviously if you won the intermediate championship next year, you'll be playing in, in the senior championship as well, you know, but certainly like I know, I know last year and down, you know, the championship first round was maybe played. I think actually, I think the championship, I think we had maybe like two games or th- I think with two or three games, league games, and then the championship kicked in and it was effectively played off. And then the remainder of the league games, the two games was played after that. So Armagh had tried that for years and they didn't think it worked. And I, I know Down have looked at it, judging by their plan for this year, Down have looked at it. And I think the plan is this year all being well is that Down would run off the league, get the league finished, and then the championship would start, which is basically like two seasons, you know? So at mm-hmm. least if you're a manager of a team and you're trying to prioritise the championship, you sort of will have an idea of when you want your team to peak, you know? 
Yeah, that definitely helped him down last year with the. Uh, I think you've seen some of the games that you've seen on Park TV or and all like the Down Championship was very, very good last year. It was just teams all going for it. Used to be, you know, teams were never competing really that well, but with some really cracking games. And Bombridge had some good games too, especially the game of Tullation. The Bosco game was nip and tuck in the first half and stuck for a while. Yeah, as you said, like I think last year there was four championship games the clan had. So, like I remember, <coughs> I remember after we beat Bosco in the first round, Willie Gribbon, the chairman, phoning me and saying that he was delighted. You know, because I think he was saying it was maybe the first championship win that the clan had had in maybe like three or four years, you know. And then whenever, whenever we went on to the next round, then and beat Tully Lish and qualified for the quarterfinal, I think somebody, maybe one of the club men, maybe yourself, or maybe said it was the first. It's the first time that they've been in the quarterfinal in like nine or ten years, you know. Yeah. So, so, in terms of, I know Brad last week asked me, you know, what would be the targets be for this year if, you know, if all being well we get back. So obviously, like the numbers, like we did a few sessions there before Christmas, whenever we were allowed to train non-contact in groups of fifteen, and the numbers would have been very, very good. Like we would have been averaging probably low to mid 30s at those sessions before christmas and like I, I remember last year whenever i met the players at the start of the year i think there was 21 players arrived up to the players meeting the way back in it was actually november 2019 you know so the numbers the numbers have grown from last year i don't know whether that's to do with with myself or whether it's to do with the fact that everybody's scundered in the house and they just want out you know but uh, yeah. certainly in, in, in terms of targets for this year, with the numbers that we have at the minute, I know Brad will testify to this, I would like to think that one very basic target for this year for, for Clan Nirvana would be that we failed in every reserve game this year. You know, because we have we have the players there at the minute, we have the numbers there to be able to field. 15 or 18 players every Sunday for a reserve game, you know. So certainly when, whenever we get back training, that would be something that that I would I would sort of be drilling into the players. You know, you're not going to get better, you're not going to get experience just by training with the seniors. You're going to have to go and play reserves. And then obviously, in terms of the league, I think the plan at the minute is a one-way league of 10 games. So again, if you are winning. The majority of your games in that league, if you were coming out at the end of the year, maybe with six or seven wins out of ten, you know, certainly I would be I'd be very happy with the progress there. And then in terms of the championship, a lot, like all championships, is going to depend on the draw whenever it's eventually done. But like last year we got to the quarterfinals, so you'd be looking again this year at you know, sort of a quarterfinal, sort of your, your your minimum target for again for this year, you know. Yeah, definitely the reserves are getting the lads up to the reserves and feeling and being competitive. Brad will definitely be able to sleep better if we were able to do that. <laughs> well, just, just just to put in the games are on Saturday, so that's what I mean. I don't think Sundays work for, for us, but um, this year, like I say, hopefully it should be good. And you got a slight glimpse, 
that there's five or six of the younger lads coming up as well who were coming up from the under 17. So it's yeah. always good. And there, there are five or six very handy footballers as well. So um, hopefully they'll not just be a number and they can hopefully influence you and encourage all, all the other lads to sort of step it up because I think that's good as well when you know there's a challenge for places in the team. Yeah, as you said, Brad, like even... I'll imagine at some stage those young lads will be getting game time on the senior team at some stage during the year, you know, but certainly like those four or five, four or five lads who have stepped up from the under-17 team, like their priority should be whatever number of reserve games there is, if there's eight or ten reserve games next year, to make sure that, because they, they all are training, you know, Dara Scullion and Ryan Morgan and Mikey Wood and Callum Burns, those four lads have all been training, you know, whenever we did the sessions, before Christmas and any of the work that we're doing at the minute, those four lads are sending or sending their stuff in through Strava, you know. So certainly for those four lads, it would be so important for them this year that they make themselves available and can play every reserve game and then whenever they're needed on the senior team, whether that's as a start or whether it's coming on as a sub, that they're able to come on and influence the game, you know. Yeah, well, I think it's good as well that even there's the slightly older ones like Owen Scullion, Fergal, McNiff, Connell, Quigsey, you know what I mean? There is a good group of young players that are in the club and plus there's a few ones who will not name any names but the, they've been about but just as a as a bit part and I think if, if we all get everybody up, you know what I mean? They could, we could definitely try and do something. Yeah, as you said, it wasn't actually until I got the players to fill in like in my first year, I got them to fill in like sort of a questionnaire and I never got them to fill in their dates of birth. So I didn't actually know the ages of the players last year. But whenever I came around, you know, for this year, I actually got them to fill in their dates of birth. And the amount of players on that panel who are like under 21, under 22 years of age is something serious. You know, as you said, there is a serious amount of young players there. Like I think, I think Dean Lennon texted me there during the week saying, he had, he had messaged Thomas McKay, you know, in terms of how he was getting on. And Thomas McKay texting him back saying, going grand, everything's going well in the Abbey. You know, he's still in school. Yeah. And, and he was playing senior football last year. Like, he played the first three or four challenge games for me last year and then and then hurt his Achilles tendon on, on his ankle, you know. So, like, I would, have put, I would have put Thomas probably at 21 or 22 years of age, but obviously he's only 18, you know. And as Hod was saying, today sort of marks the year when we played uh, Trillick. Um, we would sort of be classified as a townie club. And I know you've been with Kiernanog and St. Peter's of Lurgan, which obviously Lurgan, Portadown, Banbridge, we're all sort of similar towns. So are you seeing any similarities in like the clubs and the structures and the people around them? Or how do you, how do you feel that by us and our, our uh, townie team label? No, as you say, it's a, it obviously is a tiny team, you know, and sometimes tiny teams will be labelled as having a soft centre, you know, it would be something that we certainly would have to work on this year, you know, obviously, especially with the players, a lot of the players being so young. But then there's lads in the team there who's been about for years, you know, you think of Nelsons, you think of Dean Lennon, you think of Mal McGee, Mickey McAllister, you know, you have strong seasoned players there, you know, who's been about... I'm sure a senior level for 10 plus years, you know, so you do you do have enough experience there on the team who can sort of look after the younger players never, whenever it comes to a match day on a Friday. And then as you said, like you're maybe sort of touching on, on like a social aspect there maybe. 
in terms of, of, of the tiny thing. Obviously, in down with the matches, the senior matches being on Friday night, it's obviously a major, a major help in terms of managing a team. Whereas, you know, the players can still to a certain extent have have a social life at the weekend after their match on a Friday night. You know, if they want to go out for a meal, or if they want to go out for a drink or socialize with their friends or their girlfriends or their wives on a Saturday night, they can, you know. So certainly, like, I knew if, um, I'm friends with Peter Quinn there. We played for Tully Lish for a long number of years, went to university with them. And I remember sort of always saying and always trying to advocate that the Friday night football, you know, for club level was sort of the way to go in terms of, you know, players were committing to their Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, but they still had to a certain extent their weekend off to do whatever they wanted on the Saturday and the Sunday, you know. So yeah. certainly it, w- it would be a major positive in terms of the fixture schedule that I think as a club manager and for club players that, that Down County Board have had over, over other county boards, you know, for a long number of years. Yeah. Right, well, Ronan, that sort of wraps up Clan Nirvana, and hopefully this year we get back to football quite soon, and hopefully we give it a good out rattle with the league, because the way the leagues are going to go, there's probably, if it all gets back in time, there's going to be promotion and relegation, so the leagues are definitely going to mean yeah. something this year. Something that's be, right, yeah. And it'd be good to give the championship a good out rattle again, and maybe cause an upset with a bigger team if we end up drawing someone there. So we'll just head in, and the last part of the interview is just, Ronan, I asked you last week to think of a, your top 15 that you've either managed, played, or uh, coached, coached against, or whatever, you know what I mean? So did you did you have a think about that then? Yeah, so sort of, as I was saying this last week before the internet issues, I'm going to tweak this a wee bit, and I'm going to name a, a, a best 15. It's actually a best 17 because of two goalkeepers in and have two right corner forwards in that was sort of coached in America. Because as I was saying to you last week, I would be friends, still friends with all the Chernobyl boys, and I would see them on a daily basis and never might walk on the roads. And I wouldn't want to be knocked down by one of them if I didn't include them <laughs> in, in the top 15. So I'm going to try and dodge that bullet and not fall out with anybody. And I'm going to go then for uh, the best 15 that I trained in in Boston between 2005, 2015, and 2016. So again, in America, it's actually only 13 a side. You play with two full forwards and two full backs, but I'm going to go with a 15 a side or an actual back a 17 a side because of, as I say, of, of two double positions here. So in terms of, go, uh, of goalkeeper then, I've got Larkin Malloy from Dublin. Uh, Larkin was a county under 21. He was a uh, goalkeeper of uh, Wolf Tones in 2015, the year we were beaten in the final by Donegal. Sorry, he, no, 2016. He was the goalkeeper the year we won it in 2016. And then also on goals then is Darren McDonald from Galway. Darren was the goalkeeper in 2015 whenever we were beaten by Donegal. And again, Darren was a great trainer, great athlete. He, he trained as hard and was as fit as any of the, any of the outfield players that year, and I wouldn't actually be surprised if Darren actually plays outfield for his club. You know, he's that fit of a player. So goal, goalkeeper was Larkin Malloy, Dublin, and Darren McDonald from Galway. So going into the full back line, then right corner back. Again, I mentioned him in the first podcast was B. Rafferty from Newry Shamrocks. 
Uh, Dee was out with Armagh Notre Dame in 2005. A brilliant man marker, you know, very, very fast over the ground. Good ball player, never give away a possession. And again, as I mentioned previously, started in the 2010 All-Ireland Final for Dublin. I remember being down at that and sort of disappointed for him that Down didn't win it that day. So right corner backs Damien Rafferty from Down. Uh, full back, he's got good news there on Friday night. Uh, full back is Podrick Faulkner from Cavan. Uh, Podrick was out with us in 2015. My Wolf Tones played cornerback, will have been doing a man marking job. And watching Cavan this year, he was playing midfield for them. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. You know, between fullback and midfield, he was playing. I think actually quite a few of the games he was playing with a rib injury. So Podrick, I was just reward there on on Friday night at an All Star for 2020. So I think, actually, probably, I think we should probably say you'd actually tipped him in the original one, which didn't get uploaded. You'd actually tipped him to get the All-Star. So we'll just put that on, on record in case they think you're just adding it in. Pity you couldn't have got odds not in the bookies, uh, Brad. <laughs> so, Robert, did yes, you know he was going to be a, a great player for Cavan in the years to come whenever you coached him? Yeah, because he, again, at that, at that age, he probably would have been about 20 or 21 whenever he was out in 2015. And again... The physique he had for a young lad was exceptional, you know, very, very fast. And his attitude to training and his attitude to instructions was brilliant. You know, like he didn't know me from Adam, but whenever I was explaining to him who he was marking, what foot he kicks off, you know, what he likes to do in the matches, he Podrick would have took it all in, tried his best, tried his best to bring it in. So like he was the complete package there in terms of attitude, physique. Fitness, and he also has a wee bit of development about him too, which is which is useful at county level, you know. So with Podrick Faulkner from Cavan in there at fullback, and then at left corner back again. This is 2016. This is the year Wolf Tones won it. We have Mick O'Grady from uh, Kildare. So Mick is still playing corner back for Kildare at the minute, and again, sort of a tall. A tall player, good man marker, and again was very good at driving forward. You know, whenever he won the ball, he didn't just stop, give it off to somebody else to stop. He always went and supported the play and created overlaps. So again, Mick O'Grady at left corner back from Kildare is an outstanding player. So moving into the half back line, then we've got Connor Moyna from Cavan at right half back. Uh, Connor was out in 2015. He would have played centre-half back on that team in 2015. But right half-back, I have him in. I think Connor played for Cavan in 2019 and would have been one of their better players in 2019. But I think he's actually in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or somewhere at the minute. So he wasn't on the Cavan panel this year. So unfortunately, he missed out on his, on his Ulster medal this year. But again, an outstanding player, sort of small, stocky player. You know, great physique, super fit. And again, going back to that 2019 year with Calvin, he would have been very good at, you know, he was nearly worth a point a game or two points a game with, with long range, long range shots off the outside of the boot. So with Connor Miner from Calvin at right half back, then centre half back going back to 2016 again with Kevin O'Brien from Dublin. Kevin O'Brien would have been a Dublin panelist, I assume. I think he's maybe one all Iron medal. He could possibly have two. As a panelist, he would have played O'Byrne Cup matches for, uh, for, for Dublin and maybe a few league games. And I mentioned 
I mentioned last week about the famous incident of him of him biting a player. And I think I think off that, I was thinking over the weekend who that player was. I actually think it might have been Dutch Cooper. I'm not hundred percent certain on that. But again, Kevin O'Brien would have carried a threat for us at centre half back. He would have nullified like in the final uh, against Galway. He marked Killian O'Sullivan from me, you know, the long haired boy with a ponytail for me. And again, as I said, I don't know what Kevin said or did to him before throw in, but Killian or Killian O'Sullivan was sort of very he was very anonymous in that, in that final, you know. So Kevin O'Brien from Dublin at centre half back. And then at left half back, again, going back to 2016 with Andy McDonald from Louth. Andy went out that year as a home base player. He went out to America before April, before the end of April. It was meant he was classified as a home base player. And you have to play five home base players on every team. Five of the starters have to be home based. So Andy would have been. Probably in 2016, he would have been the best home base player in Boston, to be honest. You know, he, he was absolutely outstanding. And as I mentioned to you last week, in one of the first matches in 2016, maybe mid-April, whatever way he fell on the ground, he actually ended up smashing his, smashing his head off the sprinkler in, on, on the pitch and ended up fracturing his jaw. So the fact that he stayed about from May right through to the end of the summer, you know, says a lot about the man in terms of his character. You know, it would be very easy for him to go home and say, right, the summer's over, I'm not going to play, and just go home and, and, and play for his club whenever he got back fit. But the fact that he stayed on for that extra three, three and a half months and got himself fit, I remember him, he got like those face masks, you know, that the, that the, that the soccer players would wear whenever they got like a broken jaw or something, they got one of those fitted for him for the, for the quarterfinal, semi-final and final. So again, Andy McDonald at left half back from Louth. So going into midfield then, again, 2016, Paddy Keenan from Louth. Uh, Paddy got an all-star in 2010. The year Louth, remember the year Louth were robbed in the, in the Leinster final against me. Your man threw it over the line, Joe Sheridan. So Paddy Keenan played midfield. And again, I was mentioning Andy McDonald in terms of his character as a man. I can't say, I can repeat the same in relation to Paddy Keenan. Paddy Keenan's father died in that summer of 2016 whenever we were out in America. And Paddy and the wife went home for the funeral and then came back out to Boston about, about five or six days later to come back and play play in the, in the knockout semi-final and final. And again, Paddy would be one of the best players I've ever trained, you know, and he was at that stage, he was probably about 30 or 31 at that stage. So again, having the fitness levels and the heat in Boston, to be competing and getting the better of lads, maybe either nine years younger than you, is a credit to Paddy, you know. And then the other midfielder, this is from 2015, is Davy Highland from Kildare. Again, Davy's still playing for Kildare at the minute. I think he sort of flakes between full back and midfield for Kildare. But again, he was only a young lad then, maybe 21 or 22. Very, very fit, very fast, great engine. Okay, up and down the park, tenacious tackler. And so up completes the midfield. Paddy Keenan from Louth, Davy Highland from Kildare. So into the half forward line now, number 10, right half forward. I've got Dara McVitie from Cavan. Again, he didn't play for Cavan this year because I think Dara is actually in Australia at the minute. So he wasn't available for Cavan this year, so he lost out on his Ulster medal. 
But I think in 2019, I think Dara might have actually been the captain of Kevin in, in 2019 again. An absolute flame machine could cover the ground. Uh, we played him at number 10 for the first two or three games. And then for the semi-final, we actually moved him into left half back. And as I said last week, that meant a club man of my own who had taken out that year, Conor McCormick, lost his position for the semi-final, which I felt was a wee bit unjust because Connor was playing outstanding football that year out in Boston. And then after the semi-final, Dara went home. He had to go home. I think he was a school teacher or something over here and he had to be home for a certain date. So he missed the final. So it meant Connor then, my club mate Connor came back in for the final at left half back. And I thought he'd actually scored the winning point. In the final, he scored a point to put us one up with a couple of minutes left, but Donegal ended up equalising. So if Dara McVitie in there at right half forward from Cavan, and then centre half forward, you'll know this name of Leighton Glynn from Wicklow. Uh, Leighton, I think he played in three different series for Ireland in the, in the compromise rules you were mentioning last week. Pod about, you know, in, in those matches being, being one of the best players there. And as I said last week, Leighton Glynn is, without a shadow of a doubt, the best player I've ever coached. You know, his organisation, his vision, his scoring, his high catching, you know, even simple things like influencing the referee, absolutely outstanding. So centre-half forward, Leighton Glynn from Wicklow. And then left-half forward, this is going back to the Armagh Notre Dame team of 2005, Christy Toy from Donegal. Uh, Christie's obviously on a learning winner with Donegal with Jim McGuinness there in 2012. And I just remember the first couple of training sessions with Christie whenever we were doing running drills or whatever, we were doing a wee bit of a warm-up. He just sort of glided over the ground. Yeah. And, you know, and you could tell he was an absolute athlete. You know, in 2005, we had to play Christie in midfield, which obviously wasn't his position because whenever he was playing for Donegal, he was always at 10 or 12. But an absolutely outstanding player. And again, a good score taker. So the half forward line, Dara McBeady, Calvin, Leighton Glenn, Wicklow, Christy Toy, Donegal. So going into the full forward line now, again, I said last week that I'm going to put two players in at right corner forward. And there'll be two friends of mine and two boys that I took out to Boston the years I went out. So the first one at right corner forward is Paul Jarville from Chernanog. And Port of Iron here, I took him out to play for Armagh in 2005. At that stage, he was only 20. He had just come back in the first podcast. I'd mentioned to him about going to play for Preston North End over in England. So he had just come back from Preston, and I took him out for the summer there in, in 2005. And in terms of a left-footed free-taker, you know, obviously I'm probably biased here because I've coached him so much. I've probably coached him for maybe about eight or nine years at this stage of my career. Like he is the best left footed free taker I've ever seen. Like whenever he was in his game, any free kick inside the opposition half on his side of the pitch, he was nearly writing down seven out of ten he was going to score. You know, like I'm talking, I've seen him score from the halfway line and in my own pitch and cheering an oak from a free, you know, great, a great free taker off the ground. Did you notice any difference in him, you know, coming from the soccer into the Gaelic? Was he a bit rusty or was it just sort of straight in and he was just back to his own self? 
Well, he had, he had probably played a wee bit before we went out that summer. Brady had probably played a wee bit for the senior team. You know, he, he, it wasn't just a case of him getting off the flight from Preston and going straight to straight to Boston. He had done a bit of training with with the Chairman Oak senior team and probably had played a few league games there too. So any sort of any sort of ring rust that you know it would have been got out of him at that stage. But like even whenever Paul was over with Preston, like. I don't know how he got away with it, but we were still flying him home. You know, cheering and over still, not every week, yeah. but maybe if we had 15 league games, Paul might have been flown home for five of them to play, even though even though he was in a youth professional contract with Preston, you know. So whenever he, he went to England, he didn't just, you know, down tools with a club. He would have still been involved. And as I said, the last time that probably came from his father, Michael, being heavily involved in the club as the treasurer, you know. Mm-hmm. So with Paul Kjarvlin and then also at right corner forward, I have to mention Shea Tennyson from Mahri, who I took out in 2016. Shea went out in 2016 as obviously a player who had never played for Armagh at any level under or minors or under 21s. And you can hear from the previous names, you know, the sort of players he was competing against. And like Shea went out, knuckled down and played outstanding that whole summer. Like he's maybe averaging five or six points per game again. He was a left footed free taker, which helped. And coming up towards the semi final and final, he was actually keeping Tomas O'Connor from Kildare out of the starting team. You know, so it just it just sort of goes to show that, you know, sometimes a good club player, whenever they're playing amongst good players, is are every bit as good as you know as some of the county players out like. Those three lads I took out, Connor McCormick, Paul Kjarvel, Shea Tennyson, like the county players who they were playing with at that stage, couldn't believe that they had never played for Armagh, even at underage level, you know? So in, in, in terms of the lads I took out, you know, from friends of mine from my own club and from Mahri, you know, they did, they did hold themselves well in, in the high esteem that they were, the, in the high quality players that they were with, you know? So with Paul Kjarvel and Shea Tennyson there for right corner forward, both from Armagh, and then full forward with Tomas O'Connor from Kildare. Tomas, very strong. He's nearly put you in mind of a rugby player, the build of him. You know, played, played corner forward in 2015, would have been a really, really uh, influential player for Wolf Tones in 2015, I think. There was one match, maybe he scored like three goals and five points or something. He's just a complete bothering ram, you know. And then, as I said, 2016 would have been coming on in the latter stages as a sub, you know, whenever Shea or, or Shawnee Furlong maybe tired a wee bit and would have been coming on and doing serious damage. So full forward there is Tommaso O'Connor from Kildare. And then last but not least, in left corner forward, I've got Shawnee Furlong from Wicklow. Okay, Shawnee, I think at the minute or certainly last year was captain of Wicklow senior team. Again, just a natural forward. You know, in terms of physique, wouldn't have been the same sort of physique as some of them other players I've mentioned in terms of, you know, gym freaks and six packs and stuff like that. But Shami knew how to get out in front and, and win the ball. And whenever he won the ball, he knew where it was going. So I actually think in the final in 2016, Shami maybe scored one seven. And I think all of it was from play. So right corner forward, sorry, left corner forward there, Shami Furlong. So probably looking through the team there, 
you know, bar the goalkeeper and Paul Kjarbel, Shea Tennis at right corner forward, every one of those players would have would have represented their county with distinction at at senior level. Now I know maybe maybe it's not counties like Dublin or not counties like Kerry or Cork or or or, or Tyrone, you know, but as as right, as as, as Hod was saying there, boys like Leighton Glynn and Paddy Keenan, you know, if, if you throw them boys in, into your carries and into your Dublin, those boys are getting on, you know what I mean? And they're coming away with two or three all-irons in their back pockets, you know? And two all-stars are as well. I will. Whenever I went last week, it was only one. So <laughs> with two all-stars, and then I think, I think Leighton Glynn, I think he was nominated maybe one year yeah, for an all-star as well, you know? I'm I'm not too sure about Christy Toy. You know those couple of years, uh, those couple of years, Donegal got Bill Aaron Finley. He could have been nominated for an All Star as well. I'm not 100 certain, but yeah, uh, or Paddy Keenan and Paul Dick Faulkner two All Stars. So Leighton Glynn All Star nominee. So a decent enough team. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, enough. just another question there on the whole America thing. Like, did you ever have to? Put any of the boys in the line, you know. Did anybody sort of, you know, sort of piss about, and you know, they were just sort of, you know, ah, money out here for a drinking holiday sort of thing? Because, like as you said, like the committee members, they would have paid, you know, big money to get them lads flown out and get businesses all sorted them the money, and like they would have wanted results for that. There was there any like sort of time you had any problems with that? Yes, uh, to be honest, I that the three years I was out. In terms of sort of, as you said, the likes of those players there I'm mentioning at the minute, you know, there was no problems whatsoever. You know, we obviously, like sort of the way we would have worked it out there is if you had a match on a Sunday, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday would have been a case of you trained on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, and then you made a met up on, on a Saturday and went through things or maybe went to the sea on a Saturday or something like that for a bit of crack. So, like, really, in terms in terms of the training schedule and things like that, it would have been as tough as any as any sort of good club team, as I said last week. The likes of those teams, I would have been, I would have coached, I would have fancied them playing. You know, your Kilcoos, your Crosses, your Bondaries, your St Gauls. You know, that's sort of the level I, I, I think they would be operating at. You know, so really it was up to the home base players like say for example with our mother in 2005 sort of the enforcer would have been jerry o'reilly from crenshaw who was a home base player and if anybody was dicking about it was up to jerry he would have went and he would have sorted that out you know and then say for example there likes of 2016 with uh with wolf tones you had paddy keenan and you had leighton glynn who were probably in their early 30s at that stage, you know, had been there and done it. And it was probably a lot of, a lot of times, because all the lads lived together, yeah. you know, like P- Paddy Keenan there was living in the same house with Shea Tennyson and, and, and people like Michael Grady and boys like that. So there maybe was about six or seven of them living in the same house, you know. So if one person messed about, the other boys knew, you know. Mm-hmm. And sort of the, the, the way it was for the competition for places, if somebody was out drinking on the Friday night, and we had a match on a Sunday, and you knew that that person was in with chance of taking your position. You know, the players were sort of felt obligated to to tell to tell the management team. You know, sort of like even though Boston's a big city, like within the football aspect of Boston, 
like every single person knows every single thing that every other club is doing. You know, as I was saying to you there, I was saying last week about, I've actually remembered the name of the boy now from Roscommon. I remember I mentioned about Darren Duffy driving me into the city one day in, in 2015, him being on the phone to a fellow from Roscommon. He was on the phone from a boy called Donny Shane. Uh-huh. And he, he had a brother for Roscommon as well. Actually, I actually Googled Donny's name there. I think he actually retired from Roscommon there at the start of January. So, like, as I say, Boston's a big city, but every single team knows what you're doing. So, Doc Darn was on the phone to Donny Shane about getting him and his brother out. And Donny had already told, told Darn over the phone that Aiden McInespies and Donegal had already been on to him. You know, so even though it's a big city, every team, every club member, every committee member knows what every other club is doing and knows probably what every player who's brought out is doing, you know, at any, at any given time. So it really, it's a small bubble that they live in. So really the opportunities for them to mess about were probably few and far between, to be honest, you know. Otherwise they were going to suffer for it. Otherwise, otherwise, well, you see, it, it used to be years ago, whenever you went out to Boston years ago, if you were given a financial package, if you were given X thousand dollars, you got that as soon as you arrived which basically gave you the license to mess about for the season because you got your money, you know. Mm-hmm. But sort of in, in 2015, 2016, whenever I was out with Wolf Tones, I had nothing to do with the money. But as far as I'm aware, say, for example, just picking random names, say, for example, Shawnee Furlong there from Wicklow, whatever number of $1,000 he was on, he got a proportion of that whenever he arrived, yeah. you know, to sort of set him up. And then he was given the remainder of it. He was given the remainder of it whenever the team was not there to the championship, which thankfully that year was was after the final, you know. So again, the committee members probably learned from previous years, you know, maybe with players who messed about with them, you know, to do that, to sort of stagger their money so that they couldn't just get their big lump sum of money and then go mad and let you down. So yeah. again, the sort of the sort of that X over the players in terms of they didn't get their full package until until the team was out of the championship, you know. Yeah, it's definitely a great opportunity for some young lads to go out and play football, and it's great. And hopefully, just with all this COVID stuff, it doesn't sort of you know ruin the clubs over there at the minute. You know, with their home base players, hopefully they're yeah. still able to keep going. But hopefully, with the vaccine and all these things rolling out, you know, they'll be able to get lads back over to play for these clubs again. Yeah, well, I, I know last year because I was actually talking to Darren Duffy there last year during the during the summertime during the midst of it. You know, Darren was the fella. He put me up in his house for for two summers. You know, and I couldn't I couldn't speak highly of the fella. I was actually speaking to him there. I was actually speaking to him there about a week or ten days ago. You know, like Darren put me up for two summers. Him and his wife Susan, and like there was no expense, spurs, meals, drinks, anything. You're out. You know, your bill was he, he he wouldn't accept me paying half the bill. It was just a case of put your money away. I'm paying for this. You know, you're out for the summer. You know, yeah. so. Uh, I had sort of said to him last year, what was the plans for last summer? And they were talking last summer of just running a championship, you know, with the players that were out there living in America, but it never transpired. But certainly in America, like whenever I was out in 2005 with Armagh, there was a senior and an intermediate championship and a junior, you know. So in 2005, you probably had maybe 12 or 13 or 14 clubs in 
in, in Boston. And then whenever I went out in 2015, you had your senior championship and your junior, which was basically the reserve team of, of the senior teams. And even whenever I went out again in 2016, there was another couple of teams that folded. So I actually think in Boston at the minute, there's maybe only five or six teams. You know, you have Wolf Tones, you have McInnesby's, you have Donegal, you have Galway, and you have Connemara Gales. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I said, there was a club there called Shannon Blues, who last couple of years, I think, dropped down the junior. They didn't have a senior team. So certainly, as you said, the big thing with football in America at the minute is nobody's emigrating to America now from Ireland. Yeah. You know, they're all going to Australia. So the football in Australia has taken off and the football in America in terms of home-based players and players that live there is, is beginning to struggle a wee bit, you know? Yeah, just when you mentioned that, uh, I would have went to school with Shea Miller from Glen, and he would have been in around the county panel. I've seen he put up a photo that they were uh, doing the um, Australian Seven. So him and a fella, I think it's Chris McGee from um, Restraver. So it's just funny the way that we're over here, we can't do anything, and the lads are out enjoying themselves playing sevens football. Yeah, exactly. Taps. And then I, I think last week, man, I'll have to give these boys a mention in case they get the head taken off. <laughs> Last week, you were sort of mentioning about, you know, sort of players who, notable notable uh, references or notable absentees in terms of the top 15. So again, going back to that top 15 players who were very, very close. And again, great players, Barry Toner from Graham Moore and Armagh, who played in 2005, great centre-half forward. Uh, Jerry O'Reilly from Corinthico. He was a home base player with Armagh in 2005. He lived out there. Uh, again, would have been in and around the Armagh panel whenever he came home, played for Jordanstown, Sagerson Cup, played for a few big clubs, St. Jude's, I think, down in Dublin. Uh, Barry Fortune, who was cornerback on the 2016 team from Cavan. Cavan Gales, again, a great player and a fella I would keep in contact with every year. Uh, he's... He's a great man for me when, whenever it comes July, August, September times for tips for the Cavan Championship. So uh, I would keep in touch with Barry. He's a good lad. His younger brother, Luke, played in the Cavan team this year. I think Barry was on the panel, but then I think he, he, he tore the quad muscle off the bone this year. So I think that's why he wasn't on the, on the Cavan panel this year. So again, he was very unlucky. <coughs> And then Owen Powderly from Kildare, again, cornerback in 2015. Very, very good player, good man marker. And again, another fellow that always wanted to learn, you know, was always asking you about, uh, about the players he was marking and stuff like that, what feet to kick with. And I remember later on that year, Owen was called into the, he was called into the Kildare panel late 2015, early 2016. And they were playing cross McLean in a challenge match. And I got this random phone call from a, from a free state phone number and answered it. And uh, it was Owen on the other side of the phone. And he was explaining to me that, that they were playing cross McLean in a challenge match the weekend. It was his first match for Kildare. And he was going to be playing cornerback and looking to know about who the corner forwards were for cross and you know what foot to kick with and do they play sweepers? What do they do? You know, so... He was a fellow who was very, very keen to learn and a great lad. And then the last three, probably Donald Nugent from Antrim. Uh, big Donald there would be on social media quite a bit. I think he had an interview there with Jerome Quinn. 
over the last few months, don't know whatever the issues there with, with, with alcohol over the last couple of years. But he's he's a great hurler as well. He's he's absolutely flying there for Antrim hurlers at the minute. And I have a good story about Donald. In the 2015 uh, championship final, we were playing Donegal and Rory Kavanagh. Remember Rory Kavanagh played midfield for Donegal? Donegal over here. He was playing midfield for Donegal Boston. And he was dictating. At that stage, he was maybe 33, 34. And he was dictating the game, you know, dictating the ref. You know, more or less, he was ref in the game himself. And we brought Donald on maybe about half time. Shortly after half time, Donald was only 18 at this stage. He played for St. John's in Belfast and my mate had coached them. That's how I got in contact with Donald. And we brought Donald on to start of the second half. And I hear this almighty thump after about 20 seconds after he comes on. And I see Rory Kavanagh laying on the ground. And Donald walks over to the sideline. Asked for a drink of water, and I says, "Donald, did you just do what I think you did?" And he says, "He says to me, I couldn't have been bored fucking listening to him anymore. Sick listening to him in the stand." <laughs> so, so big Donald went on, smacked Rory Cavanaugh, who was probably twice as age, ten seconds after coming on, and fair play to him, he got away with. <laughs> and actually, actually, in that final, he actually scored two points in that final. Whenever you sit and look back at it now. He had trained brilliantly for us in the week between the semi-final and the final. And we were thinking, you know, we'll be starting. But there was going to be a massive risk in terms of throwing an 18-year-old into uh, yeah. in the championship final who hadn't really played much football that year. But he came on, as I said, and between the second half and extra time, probably played the guts of 45 minutes and was as good as any player on the pitch. And really delighted for him. That he's doing so well with uh, with Antrim hurlers there at the minute, you know. And then probably the last three players then would be John Horn from Donegal, will have been out with Armagh in 2005. Again, John played uh, for the county for a long time and played for St. Union's Leather County. I actually think he played for their senior team up until maybe a couple of years ago, whenever he was maybe 39 or 40. I think whenever the last time they won the Donegal Senior Championship, John was playing midfield for them and he was he was agey at that stage, you know. So again, a great servant. And then the last two, Paul Murphy from Bally Holland. Yeah. Again, we've been in around the down panel about 2010. He played centre back in 2005. And I've a, a wee bit of a gripe about Paul Murphy in terms of the final. Paul played centre-half back in that final, and I'm sure if he's listening, I think he actually admitted to my brother years later that he was right. In 2005, in the final, he was playing centre-half back, and Mark Little from Fermanagh was playing centre-half forward for Aidan McInnesby's. And to me, looking back in the match after, I thought Paul got himself involved in a personal battle with Mark Little, where Paul wanted to get the better of him. Uh-huh. And every time Paul got the ball, he wanted to drive forward with, wanted to carry the ball. And the amount of times Mark Little just run alongside him and popped it out of his hand, you know, and maybe set up another attack for McInnesby's. And I didn't actually tell Paul that, but I think, I think my brother maybe told him a few years later, you know, my brother would have kept in touch with him. And I think Paddy texted me there a couple of years ago saying Paul eventually, eventually accepted that, that I was right and he was wrong. Uh-huh. But, uh, so Paul Murphy there for Bally Holland and, and our man 2005 
And then again, the last person who I mentioned, again, my own club man there, Connor McCormick, who played left half back in 2015, as I said, was sort of unjustly, I thought, dropped to the semi-final and then came back in for the final and played outstanding. And again, he was a player who the lads he was playing with couldn't understand how he had never played for Armagh. But probably the three things in common with those three boys I brought out, Paul Jarvel, Connor McCormick, and Shea Tennyson, was the fact that they were all very, very small. You know, they're all probably five foot seven, five foot eight. So even though they had the skill set, even though they had the fitness, even though they had the ability, probably in terms of county level, maybe the managers were thinking they didn't have the physique, they didn't have the height, you know. But that's my tuppence worth anyhow for the for the players of of trained out in Boston. Hopefully there be no uh, there uh, won't be too many text messages going your way then. <laughs> I hope we don't see Paul Murphy in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great that's a great top fifteen and a good few honourable mentions there who like the likes of Paul Murphy. Paul Murphy still playing away at Valley Holland and as far as I know he'll be playing next year as well. You know, we just just a number to him basically. And he yeah. was one of Bally Holland's best players last year, I think. Yeah. A uh, couple of the team of the years, I think maybe on the Load of Balls podcast, he was even mentioned as one of the all-stars, one of their all-stars. And like for a man yeah. 40 years of age, to still be bossing about down football. And in the senior championship is, you know, fair play to him. Like. I, as you say, he always kept himself in tip-top shape. You know, he's always in great shape physically, you know. Yeah. No, but uh, just, Brad, you have anything to mention just before we finish up here? No, I think that's it. Just obviously wish Roden and the lads the, the best luck for next year and hopefully we're going to bring home some silverware. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> sure. hopefully we're going to get out training. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Roden, thanks very much for uh, coming on the podcast with us. Well, we're trying to get it done in one, but it's now taking two. That's yes. just the, the, the internet goes sometimes. But yeah, we'll just wish you all the best for the rest of the year and hopefully we'll get back on the pitch soon and I'm sure we'll have you on again. I'm sure we'll do an analysis, analysis show about something at some stage later on yes. during the year. No bother, Hod, 100%. As you say, I hope, hope to see the two of you in person here over the next few weeks. Hopefully if we get back training. Yes, no problem. Thanks very much, Ronan. Okay, thank you.